I was in Washington, D.C. this week, where I got to meet up with several of the nation's agricultural leaders and our elected lawmakers. I spent some time with Congressman Austin Scott, a Republican from Georgia, who is the vice chair of the House Agriculture Committee and also serves on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, House Armed Services Committee, and a number of subcommittees and caucuses. We talked about the Farm Bill, work requirements for SNAP, the EPA, and other topics important for the nation's farmers. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Let's get into this week's AgNet Weekly. All right, well, let's start out and talk about Farm Bill. It is a Farm Bill year. I'm hearing talk from other people that I've interviewed today here on the Hill that uh, it's kind of a difficult Farm Bill this year because of the political climate and how divided and some of the agendas involved um, politically. We're hearing a lot of talk that people are expecting it to not be passed by September when the current Farm Bill expires. Maybe there will be an extension. But there are several topics within the Farm Bill that I would like to to touch on with you today if we can. And let's start off with something that's important to our listeners and people, growers in your area, and that is specialty crops. Absolutely. And as you know, specialty crops were not always included in the Farm Bill, um, not until the last 15, 20 years or so. Is there any hope of getting perhaps more for the specialty crops in this year's Farm Bill? I, I would hope so. I will tell you the, the big picture, though, is the money. Yep. Uh, you hit on this before with the politics, the current political situation. Uh, uh, 82% of what we call the Farm Bill, so 82% of the money in the Farm Bill now goes to SNAP benefits or food benefits. And the Democratic Party, at least a significant portion of the Democratic Party, has said that they will not accept any changes uh, to that 82 percent, which means that now uh, you have 18 percent of the dollars going into the Farm Bill that are left for uh, CRP programs, uh, RUS programs, uh, commodity programs, crop insurance. So, So because... 82% of the dollars going into the Farm Bill are demanded by the Democratic Party to only go to SNAP benefits, then that makes it that much harder for us to do anything for uh, the production ag side of the piece of legislation. And so in my part of the world, we have a tremendous uh, number of pecan growers. We have uh, a lot of fruit and vegetable growers. Uh, Those specialty crop growers uh, are seeing the same increases in inputs that that other crops are, and it, it they they're getting crowded out because of a lack of resources. Uh, that that's because of the demands of of some of the Democrats that there can be no changes to the eighty two percent of the money going to SNAP benefits. Now, what's so naive uh, from uh, the people who, and I'm not saying they're mean people, I'm, I'm saying they're naive, is that they're going to ultimately drive up, again, inflation in uh, the grocery store by making it harder for production agriculture. And so their demand to, to put more money into food stamps may very well lead to the people who actually need SNAP benefits having having less food because the groceries are, are going to ultimately cost more. So it's a, it's a naive position to take. Some of them are honest people that, are, that just don't understand the relationship between uh, a good farm policy leading to good production uh, and, and that good production leading to an abundant food supply and that abundant food supply leading to a lower cost of groceries. 
Uh, but that, that's, that's what we should be talking about as a whole is the food supply of the United States. How do you get it onto the grocery store shelf uh, should be what we talk about first, and then how do you get it to the people who, who need it and need some assistance? Talk about that uh, in, in the legislation as well. And, and they've taken the position that any changes will lead to no farm bill. Let me say this one last thing about the changes we propose to make. We have plenty of money in this country to take care of anybody who can't work. I want to say it again. We have plenty of money in this country to take care of people who can't work. People who are elderly, people who are disabled, people who have some type of um, situation at home with, with a relative that they're having to take care of. We have plenty of money to take care of anybody who can't work. Our proposals say that if you're an able-bodied working age adult and you simply choose not to work, then you're not going to receive SNAP benefits over a certain period of time. And so th those are the types of changes that we're trying to make that, that are being rejected by the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, if again, if 82% of farm bill spending goes to SNAP benefits, then, they're, then, then you're not going to have enough money to do what you need to, to increase reference prices uh, and other things that need to be done because of increased cost of inputs. I was uh, speaking with um, Debbie Sapinow this morning, and uh, she was saying, she was adamant that the work requirements for SNAP were, there, there are work requirements for SNAP, excuse me, and that they, but they were um, paused, I, I would say, my word, not hers, but during the COVID pandemic, and that in July they will come back again, and then the, we will have these work requirements. What would you say to that um, versus the need for additional work requirements? There are... Uh abuses of that system. It depends on the state that you're in. Uh, I would I would be uh, willing to look at that with her if she's willing to look at us uh, getting rid of categorical eligibility. Categorical eligibility is the thing that allowed for anyone who had a child in a Title I school system to receive SNAP benefits whether they need it or not. I know people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year who receive SNAP benefits because they have a child in a Title I school system. Categorical eligibility says that if you're eligible for one benefit, then you automatically qualify for other benefits. And so um, I, I, I would personally be okay with us getting rid of categorical eligibility so that uh, we can, that you can look at it on an individual basis. But, but again, we've got plenty of money in this country to take care, care of people who can't work no country's got enough money to take care of people who won't work. There, there's no doubt that there are abuses in the system, and those abuses need to be, need to be purged. Yeah. Going back to farmer, uh, more farmer-specific topics, you mentioned that you know, our, our production growers, our um, specialty crop growers, mm -hmm. face these same problems that other growers do around the nation. But I, um, I, I want to ask you about protection and help for our specialty crop growers because while they are facing many of those same problems, they don't always have access to the same That's programs right. or the same insurance that That's other right. growers do. So what can be done for that? Well, you, you would have to work with RMA and actually put in a crop insurance system that worked for specialty crop growers. And um, right, right now, most of my specialty crop guys end up buying uh, what is non-insurable crop assistance. And uh, it does very little to help them. Uh, it, it, is, it is something that needs to be addressed, whether you're in South Georgia or whether you're in California. Uh, some of my good friends who are Democrats on the committee 
have, have expressed the same desires that I have as a, as a Republican from South Georgia about, about getting some type of insurance in place that helps these specialty crop producers in, in cases of losses. The, the other thing the specialty crop producers have to deal with that uh, is even uh, more so than your traditional row crop is, is the labor issue and uh, the challenge of getting labor in. And then we had just had tremendous labor rate, rate increases in the state of Georgia, which, which again, all of those increased costs continue to increase the risk of actually planting the crop and, and gathering the crop. And then in, in Georgia, we have an influx of, of product coming from Mexico at the same time as our harvest because of where we sit uh, in the, uh, you know, on the, on the parallels with them. And so, so our, our specialty crop producers are, are having a very hard time looking at the input cost and the potential revenue from it and, and seeing a, a profit uh, and, and the potential for a profit. So uh, again, we, we need to have an honest conversation about what it takes to put the food supply on the shelves of the grocery store with us not being dependent on foreign sources of food in this country. And then at the same time, have the discussion about what food assistance uh, should be there for those who, who can't work, our senior citizens, people who are less fortunate, um, people who are working hard every day and, and are still low income mm-hmm. through, through no fault of their own. I mean, we, we can help. We have plenty of money to take care of people who can't take care of themselves. But if we don't get the food on, onto the grocery store shelf, then it doesn't matter how much you give and, and SNAP benefits, they're not gonna be able to take food home. So I, I think that the conversation has been, has been reversed by, by the, the Democrats and the group on the far left where they say 82% has to go to SNAP uh, and then the other 18%, you know, about 12% of it, about 12% of it would actually go towards support for production agriculture. 12% of what we call the farm bill going to production agriculture is not a square deal for the American citizens or the American producers that take a tremendous amount of risk to put the food uh, on the grocery store shelves. Yeah. You very briefly touched on something, and, and and I'm not sure that this is the interview to get into it, but I wanted to just bring it back up if we could about getting food brought in from Mexico where it is so much uh easier politically or in regulatory terms and in labor terms to grow a crop and to produce a crop and to export it into uh, the U.S. and other nations, Um, especially for states that are closer. um, Same problem in California, same problem, you know, in other states that are are closer to the border. Um, Is there a solution for that or is there something that we can work on for that to get more of the U.S. grown crops versus Mexico grown crops uh, on the store shelves? It, it, it gets into in the extremely complex trade-related issues. Yep. I, I think there should be some things done. Uh, they are uh, paying a wage rate for a, a day's worth of labor that compares to what we pay for an hour's worth of labor uh, inside the United States. That That's not a square deal or, or a, uh, for, for the American farmer. How do you compete with somebody who's paying a fraction of what you are in inputs, uh, of, especially in wages, uh, when when you're being pushed down by the wholesalers and the grocery stores to the lowest possible price. And so uh, I think labeling issues are, are helpful, uh, but you know, if we're honest, most people walk in and if there's one pack of blueberries that's 
$3 and another pack that's $5, they're going to buy the $3 blueberries even if they, even if they come from yeah. you know, an, an, another country. Uh, we have to be very careful as, as Americans, though, in that uh, we don't need to become dependent on foreign sources of food the way we allowed ourselves to become dependent on foreign sources of energy. And it, it's bigger than just Mexico. We, we have to be watching what's happening with our seed supply. Syngenta Seed is a, is a Chinese company. Uh, this is a source of uh, serious contention for me. Uh, if you look at Kim China, if you look at what uh, communist China is doing and their accumulation of our seed technology, our chemical technology, if you look at what's happening uh, inside the courts, inside the United States, I don't put it past the Chinese to fund the lawsuits, to take the chemicals that we need to produce uh, our food supply off of, off of the markets in the United States. And to be clear, I don't have any evidence of that, but someone's paying for those lawsuits. And it's not poor people that are paying for those lawsuits. Somebody with pretty deep pockets is taking, is paying the lawyers to go to court to take the chemicals that we need off the market. Um, and, and if you want to talk about it again, going back to an environmental standpoint, when you take glyphosate, when you take dicamba, when you take all of those chemicals off the market, well, I can't use no-till anymore. You know, I have to cut the soil deeper. It's a net negative for the environment when you take the chemicals off the market because I've got to run the tractor more, which means I burn more diesel. I've got to cut the dirt deeper, which means uh, I have more runoff. And uh, th there's just, there's a disconnect between what is good for the food supply, what is good for the environment, what is good for the farmer, and all of those things can be accomplished in unison in conjunction with what's good for the consumer, uh, but not if you have courts uh, taking chemicals off the market without regard for what it does to production agriculture. Right. There's a balance. Absolutely. There. Yeah. And speaking of that, uh, there was a hearing today with the EPA administrator, and uh, I understand that you had a good conversation yeah. with him. Can we touch on that? And, and just um, for you know, transparency for our listeners and for you as well, I have not had a chance to view that. So, yep. um, but what was your conversation well, like? Look, he's uh, uh, Michael Reagan. He's, he's from North Carolina. Uh, he's part of the Biden administration. I'm obviously a Republican, but here's, here's what I'll tell you. His dad was an extension agent. And so that right there tells me that uh, he was raised with um, respect for you know, land-grant institutions and, and what our extension agents do. Uh, don't, don't know a whole lot about his history. I just know that from where I come from, which is southeast, not North Carolina, but Georgia, uh, our extension agents are some of the best people in the world. They, they take care of the kids in the school systems. They take care of the farmers. And uh, I'm, I would tell you, I think he was... He, he's he, he's probably a very good man that was raised right. Um, would would be would be my bet based on uh, have, having a, a mom that's a nurse and a dad that's an extension agent. And then he corrected me and he said his dad did get called back into the National Guard where he retired as a colonel. So I'm, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt on on uh, a, a lot of things. He he is. Um, I sense some frustration with him and some of the court rulings as well. Um, I'll let him speak to that issue on it, you know, for himself. But I did sense that there was some frustration from him in some of the court rulings. And I do think that he understands that if we're going to have an abundant supply of domestic agriculture products, 
that we have to have uh, certain chemicals, uh, pesticides and herbicides, for us to have that. And, and those are extremely important to the food supply. He acknowledged that. And so he talks about basing decisions based on science. And I think that he would like to base decisions based on science. Now, I think we've got a court system um, that, that is currently saying, well, baby powder creates cancer. You know, glyphosate creates cancer. I mean, uh, we've got to take all of these chemicals off the market because it did this, that, and the other. And we're, we're getting some very damaging rulings from courts um, that, that are going to create tremendous problems for the, the United States of America going forward with our with our food supply, and I know, I know when we talk about baby power, that's different than sure but than, than blueberries or strawberries or, or or food. But it's just an example of how how ridiculous the U.S. court systems have become. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm I'm from California, so we have cancer warning on everything. Mm-hmm. I've had to explain to people when they walk into the airport, and there is there's literally a cancer warning, a Prop 65 warning, on the door that you walk in when you get off the airplane mm-hmm. that says there are chemicals in here that cause cancer. And I basically have explained it's just the entire state. Mm-hmm. It's everything. They don't causes. call it the left coast for nothing. <laughs> right. Well, I told your staff that I would only take that 15 minutes of your time, and I want to be respectful of that. But I do want to give you the opportunity, if there is anything else that you want your listeners in Georgia to know or um, other states. You know, I would just tell you this. We, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, political discourse, if you will, uh, most of the people in Congress are good people. Uh, there are 435 of us in the House. Uh, you probably can't name many of us. The ones you can name are probably the same ones that most of us would like, <laughs> that are actually serving in Congress, would maybe like to have a, have a replacement up here with. But we, we've got a great country. Uh, we're surrounded by miracles. And, you know, don't, don't lose faith. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to be stronger when this is all over with. All right. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to Congressman Austin Scott of Georgia. This is the Agnet Weekly. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thanks for tuning in.